for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. All right. So can I just start by saying thank you to the worship team? That was immense. Totally smashed it. My son would probably say that that was boss or that it was sick. So we may not have had worship described as sick very often, but that was sick worship this morning. So thanks very much. Um, So this, I've I've been preaching here a while now, I guess, a fair few years, but this is the first time that I've been um, asked to preach on whatever I want. So... It's kind, of, it's kind of strange. It's been kind of interesting. I was very tempted to, um, to wind Richard up and tell him that I was preaching on something really heretical and really dodgy, but I, um, but I didn't. So, um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I resisted. So, what I am going to be preaching on today is, I hope, something fairly, a fairly simple premise, really. It's the reasons that we have to be grateful in life and the benefits of being grateful, and the benefits of being thankful. I think the worship just tied in so well. I thank God so much when, you know, the worship ties in with what you're going to say as a preacher, because that just really helps you know that God is in it, definitely. So I'm doing this really because it's something that um, God has just has been personally speaking to me about a lot, um, And I thought it was a good thing really just to motivate other people in and hopefully inspire other people in. Because I really think that being thankful and being grateful has the absolute power to change our perspective on life and actually really guard our hearts against the works of the enemy. And that's really where I'm going this morning. So... What I thought I'd do is I start with a bit of a question. So, what kind of person are you? Are you a glass half full kind of a person, or are you a glass half empty kind of a person? So, have a think about that. Maybe some people might happily admit to being a glass half empty kind of a person. Maybe people wouldn't. But I think either way, how your your attitude and your perspective on life is probably a product of a lot of what's gone on in the past, or it might be a product of what's going on in your life at the moment. You know, our experiences kind of inevitably shape our perspective, don't they? Um, But I think as well as that, we can be influenced by our upbringing. But actually, it's kind of a fallacy to believe that we're all born just optimistic, isn't it? I think we're all born good because... We're sinful, aren't we? You know, we're born sinful. And I actually think it's important for us to remember from the beginning that we have an enemy who will seek to rob us of contentment, to rob us of satisfaction, and to rob us of joy in life and of joy, importantly, in God. You know, because dissatisfaction can drive us to all sorts of things, can't it? To jealousy, to envy, to low self-esteem, etc., So, some of you who may have remembered me preaching in the past know I like to play a little Google game when I prepare my preaches. 
and some of you will have used Google. Obviously, other search engines are available. For, for those who haven't, what you can do is when you type in, you can begin typing in like a question or a statement into Google, and it will give you the top most searched for answers that begin with that statement. So you can get a feel of what people are searching for on the internet. So, for example, I did this, and I put in what will. So I just started what will. You see my, my type in there, like that. It's the universal type-in symbol, just so you know. So you put in what will, and the top five things that came back were, the top thing people search for, starting with what will, is what will the weather be like tomorrow? Probably a pretty good one, isn't it? Second is a little bit more highbrow than that. What will be, will be. That was quite good. Thirdly, question on everyone's lips, I'm sure, what will happen to Top Gear? Very important. Possibly even more important, what will happen to UKIP? I'm not going to make any political statement on that one. That's for God to uh, keep hold of. And then lastly, fifthly, what will happen to Labour? So it gives you a little bit of an interesting flavour of what people search for. Top Gear is above politics in most people's, and the weather is atop of everything. Well, that's kind of UK for us, isn't it? So, so I thought I did that. And so I was kind of looking for a bit of, a, obviously, an angle, something for, to do with this preach. So I typed in, then, why am I? So why am I? And it was really interesting, the top answers that came up. These are top search for answers. So anybody reckon they know, why am I what? What do people search for? Why am I here? Oh, that would be very sort of philosophical. It wasn't, no, it was why am I tired? (laughs) It wasn't quite as philosophical as that. Why am I always tired was the top answer, and why am I so tired was the second. So tiredness is clearly an issue for people of the UK. But the next one, really interestingly, and sort of the purpose is this, is why am I so depressed? Okay? Then fourth and fifth was why am I always hungry and why am I always cold? But for, for me, the why am I so depressed as being really the second top thing was actually interesting, but actually quite sad, really. Um, why are people searching for reasons for them being so depressed? And I kind of followed this line of searching, and there were a lot of different things that can get us feeling down or negative, aren't there? And what I came across this website, which said this, this, these top ten, or I don't know if it was top, but ten things that are scientifically proven to make you feel unhappy. And these aren't in necessarily ascending or order. That the first thing they put, things that can make us feel unhappy, scientifically proven, Facebook. Again, I'm not going to pass comment on social media activities, but I have had one or two times where I've been feeling much less happy than I was having been on Facebook. So that's, that's my, my personal uh, opinion. Secondly, um, unhappiness because of too much money. Scientifically proven, apparently. Thirdly, have, having a lack of control at work. And I can definitely, that's a lot of where this preach has come from. Work is definitely one, isn't it? Fourthly, really interestingly, scientifically proven that having too much choice can make you unhappy. Interesting. And fifthly, having poor sibling relationships. Now, some of these things are possibly a little bit quirky, but um, what I'm not trying to do, it's really helpful what Richard brought um, just, just now, really, is that we're not kind of, I'm not trying to trivialise at all unhappiness or depression or times of really deep difficulty that we go through or may be going through at the moment. There's a lot of different things, isn't there, that can cause us anxiety or stress or unhappiness. 
Now, it could be specific things that are causing or do cause anxiety and, and depression. But actually, I was thinking about this, and I actually think that sometimes, I think it seems that we just live in a society where it can be difficult to be thankful and grateful, can't it? Now, I was thinking about this, and I don't know what other people's experiences are that are here, but um, over the years at work, I was thinking about my work, I, it's much, much easier. I've heard people much, much more willing to criticise and complain at work, it's only at work, than they are actually to be thankful and to be grateful for their work. I can't remember the last time I heard somebody, that might just be my work, but being really thankful that they had a job or being really grateful for their boss or really grateful for gainful employment. It's much easier, isn't it, to be critical or to be negative about stuff than it is to be positive. And, you know, life is difficult, but I think that's interesting. But So the point then um, is... How can we combat some of these attitudes? How can we help ourselves when we're going through difficult times? And what I've said is that, and I've already said, I'm going to suggest that being grateful and being thankful in all circumstances is the answer. So if you want to turn with me to Philippians 4, I'm going to read a very well-known passage. I was a bit concerned a couple of weeks ago. Graham started reading from this. I thought Graham's going to totally nick my preach. It wouldn't have been the first time that's happened. You prepare something and then somebody a couple of weeks before preaches practically the same preach to you. But um, no, he didn't. So that was good and it was very good, Graham. So so Philippians 4. Starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I'm just going to go through, you know, draw two or three things out of this passage and think about what it means for us practically to be thankful. So first of all, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to focus on the beginning and end of that statement first of all. So rejoice and always. Now, rejoicing. We've talked about kind of some of the things that are difficult, but we actually have a lot to rejoice about, don't we? Regardless of our circumstances at the moment, and I don't discount them, but we do live, we live in a country that has a democracy... 
Yeah, we have a national health service. We all, I expect, probably have a roof over our heads. We have running water. We're likely to be able to go home after church today and have something to eat, however much or however little that may be. You know, we have clothes on our back. We have a sanitary system, means we don't get ill. We can drink clean water. We have roads that are pretty much good to drive on, notwithstanding uh, operation stack. A lot of us will have a car, and if we don't, we have a pretty good functioning public transport network, don't we? You know, we have very few lethal diseases in this country. We have very few poisonous insects or animals, and we don't have very much to be afraid of in that way. We're hit by very few natural disasters, are we, except for the occasional minor earthquake in Folkestone. You know, we, we actually have quite a reasonably high standard of living, don't we, globally? I think you mentioned this, Graham, didn't you, a couple of weeks ago. I think we're like, UK is like the ninth richest country in the world, I think. So, appreciate that we may go through difficult times, but we actually have quite a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We're extremely privileged. You know, and even if we set aside all of this kind of stuff that I've just talked about, if we just look out the window, we can see God's amazing creation as well, can't we? You know, creation cries out and demonstrates that God deserves thanksgiving, doesn't it? Everything in creation is a gift from God for us to enjoy. You know, we have the amazing truth that God made us in his image. Amazing. He made us to enjoy a relationship with him, the creator of the world. God sustains us from day to day. Right this moment, God is sustaining us with the breath in our body. You know, we have the truth that God sent his only son, Jesus, to suffer and die on a cross that we might be forgiven of our sin. Amazing. Thank you, God. And have an eternity with God where there won't be any suffering or any pain or any sickness or depression or anxiety or fear or distress. Now, we have fundamentally a lot to rejoice about. Now, Goff Hope, some of you will know, he spoke here before in the past. He has this phrase that kind of sums this up a little bit. He talks about enjoying the journey and enjoying life. And he says this. He says, a fundamental aspect of this great salvation is that God has purposed and promised to lavish grace on our lives. That's what Richard was talking about. In a measure that is more than equal to the demands of the moment. Okay, so that we don't just endure, but enjoy the journey. That's how Paul managed to sing in prison after enduring beatings. And that's why Hebrews 12, 15 urges us not to fail in obtaining the grace of God. So every day, every moment, I want to draw on God's amazing grace that is there for the taking so that I can continue to enjoy the journey. Now, the thing is, of course, is you might be sitting and saying, well, it's just not that easy to enjoy the journey, okay? You know, if you live my life for a day, walk in my shoes, and you'll see that, you'll understand that. And, you know, I, I do, I understand that. I do understand that. This preach, I said, I touched on it, but this preach has been born out of definitely the hardest few months of my working life ever. It really has. You know, 36, I've never had a more difficult time in my life than these last few months. But 
I think God is teaching, has been teaching me this stuff. And, you know, Tracy and I, you, you, you know, those of you who know, still know, we've had our fair share of difficulties as well. You know, we, we appreciate that life is difficult. But at the same time, the first part of this sentence in Philippians, Paul uses what's called an imperative. And this means that Paul is telling us that this isn't an option. It's not an option. <laughs> Okay, we may find it hard and you may even be saying in your head right now, even as I'm talking, I can't do that. I'm not one of those just happy people. I I just can't. But the thing is, is that Christian joy doesn't come or go based on our circumstances, does it? It doesn't have to come or go based on the circumstances. You know, it's something which is based on our relationship with God. You know, we can rejoice in the Lord And Paul is telling us to do it here. So, being thankful isn't about being unrealistic. It's not about pretending everything's okay when it's not. I've got a story from my childhood. Mum will have to forgive me if my mum is listening to this back. But uh, when I was about me and my, I've got a brother who's a couple of years younger than me. He must have probably been 11. I was maybe 13. We were at secondary school. And we had a neighbour a few doors down who was also a Christian. And we shared lifts home from school. So what, one day, I don't know what happened, but there was a mix-up. My mum thought that her friend was coming to pick us up, so didn't come and get us. And me and my brother were standing in the car park at school for, I don't know how long it was, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. My mum was getting worried because we weren't at home. And me and my brother were just standing in the car park. So my mum gets increasingly worried. It's a bit anxiety there going on was getting more and more worried couldn't get hold of our neighbor so just decided to come and pick me and my brother up who were standing for who knows how long I can't remember in the car park waiting so she was very stressed out by this point so we drive home for some reason I don't know what it was she parked on the road we have a driveway but she parked on the road this day um she was very stressed out by this point she was thankful that we were okay but kind of got home we all went into the house. Five minutes later, there's a knock on our door. And this, oh, is your car a green car? So I'm just like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, it's just come through our hedge down the road and stopped about a foot short of our front wall of our house. And my mum, in her stress, had forgotten to put the handbrake on. And we live on a, my mum and dad still do, live on a slight incline. So this car, a car had just started rolling and rolled all the way down through an eight-foot hedge and stopped literally about that short from going through the front wall of our, this neighbour's house. So this didn't really um, bless my mum. She was extremely stressed anyway and very stressed. And bless her, and it's all forgiven now, but our neighbour, who was a Christian, came up to my mum, saw all this happening and said, don't worry, Hilary, Jesus the King is here. <laughs> now, my mum is passive, but that's probably the closest I've seen her to throwing a punch in my whole life she that did not bless her at all she was wondering what was happening she thought her children had been taken she's got a car that has nearly gone through the front wall of somebody's house that wasn't what she needed to hear being thankful for what we have in God isn't about being unrealistic at that point it was very stressful so we're not being false here in what I'm saying okay I think that's really important. But having said that, and as funny as that story might be, we do have an opportunity in this life 
to give a special kind of thanks and worship to God that we will never have the opportunity to do in heaven. We have the opportunity to to give thanks to God in the middle of difficulties. Yeah, we have the opportunity in the middle of physical and emotional pain, in the middle of stress, and in the middle of tears, in the middle of times of great sadness. You know, we will never experience these things in heaven, so we will never be able to give God that thanksgiving that is born out of suffering. We will never be able to give God in heaven that sacrificial praise and thanksgiving that we can here on earth. You know, and I, I had this a, you know, a little while ago, and to me that was just a real revelation, actually. I just thought, you know, that is just a unique opportunity that I have in the middle of my difficult work situation to still be able to give thanks to God for what I've got. You know, and I, I truly believe that God honours and loves this worship and this thanksgiving that is born out of a time of suffering. I heard a priest uh, preach recent, recently, no, recently about um, the pearl gates that are mentioned in Revelation. And a lot of people may know, I was looking into pearl formation, and I'm sure some of you will know, but pearls are formed in oysters when a bit of sand or grit gets into them. And to combat that irritation um, that is caused by the grit, the, the oyster kind of creates a product that coats that grit and coats it and coats it and coats it and coats it until it becomes a pearl. You know, something very precious is formed out of the irritation and the discomfort that the oyster has. And it's the same for us. I believe that actually, during times of discomfort, something very precious can be born in us that is precious to God. And I think it can form something in us that we didn't have before. It forms a certain attitude uh, and a certain closeness to God, which is, is unique if it's formed in that time of difficulty. And, you know, if nothing else, can there be anything that depresses the devil more than when we praise God, even though we're going through a nightmare time? That whatever he throws at us, we still give thanks to God in spite of what's going on. You know, we may not always understand what is happening to us, but actually that heartfelt praise is something I really believe that God honours. So, if we're rejoicing always, what are we to actually rejoice in? What form should this rejoicing take? So, same verse. I'm not going to go through the whole of the passage, by the way, we'll be here till Christmas. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. So, we've had rejoice always, this is rejoicing in the Lord. Now, anybody can be thankful, can't they? Yeah, if... I'm not careful what we could end up doing this morning is just having some sort of a kind of a nice positive thinking type message. And that's not what I want. You know, if our rejoicing and thankfulness isn't rooted in our deep satisfaction with our relationship with our father, then it just is about positive thinking. And it's not. So being thankful, I think, is intrinsically linked to being satisfied in God. You know, the more satisfied in God we are, the more thankful we become. The more thankful we become, the more satisfied in our relationship with God we become. You know, and it's really good that the one, you know, the thing that we've been focusing on so much and Graham talked about earlier is that presence of God, isn't it? And that cultivating that presence of God. And 
Being satisfied in God comes, amongst other things, as a result of being in his presence, doesn't it? As a result of meeting him and spending time with him. You know, we can't really be satisfied with a relationship that we don't really have, can we? And, you know, the Encountering the Father series as well has really led into this preach. I was struck by, and it's a verse that I'm always struck by, is that when Jesus says that his food and drink is to do the will of his Father... And I think it's fair to read from that, that what Jesus is saying is that he's most satisfied in God's presence in knowing that he is carrying out the will of his Father. You know, when we go outside of God's will for our lives and don't spend that time in his presence, how many of us know that we can become more dissatisfied with our life as a result? Well, I'm sure we will have all been there. I certainly have. So I've mentioned this before in a preach, but I really like this as well. John Piper's got this phrase of um, being a Christian hedonist. And what he's basically explaining, that Christian hedonism, this term, and I'll go and look at it if you haven't, but he's basically summed up in this saying that the chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I think the challenge for us, and I I always try to come back to myself, is what are we taking most pleasure from in our day-to-day life? Because actually we will all make a God out of whatever we take the most pleasure in. And I think this is often a, a kind of a crucial but difficult question to ask ourselves. You know, actually if you want to get a barometer of your current relationship with God, ask yourself, what am I taking most pleasure from in life? And actually the answer to that question may well be found in what you find yourself being thankful for each day. The things marry up. So we can be thankful and we can be satisfied in our relationship with God. So verse 6, then I'll move on. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I think in this verse, Paul is sort of seems to be telling us that there's a fundamental link between thanksgiving and prayer. So I think there could be two ways of reading this, both of which are kind of helpful, for, particularly for the purposes of this preach. Paul could be saying that we're to be thankful in advance for what we're asking God for. So thank you, God. I, you know, I'm in need of something, but I thank you in advance, God, that I, you, you provide. Or it could be that it's a fundamental starting position when we pray ought to be thanksgiving. Okay? Either way, I think to me this is about faith. Now, to be able to rejoice in the Lord always and importantly to be able to maintain this kind of attitude over time, we absolutely have to have complete trust and faith in God, even when the going gets tough. You know, 1 Peter 1 demonstrates this, just at the verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, we may not see Jesus, but we have faith in him and a hope for our eternal salvation. And that is what is able to make us rejoice in God, even in spite of our circumstances. We also see a good example of faith and thanksgiving working together in the feeding of the 5,000. And again, I have this, and I've not seen this personally before. So a lot of us will know about the story of the feeding of the 5,000. But in John 6, it says this. um, So I'll start from verse 5, verse 6. 
Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of these people even to get a little. So one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, oh, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So Jesus said, have the people sat down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 of them in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now Jesus fed the 5,000 after giving thanks for the little that he had. Okay? And then a miracle followed. God, I believe, honours thanksgiving. You know, if you're struggling with something, if you're struggling for a breakthrough, for healing or provision, you know, we can give thanks and we ought to give thanks even when we don't see a total breakthrough. So, for example, if we really need £10,000, for example, and we're really praying, God, I really need this, it's for a particular thing. You know, if we got £3,000 as an anonymous gift, we wouldn't be like, oh, seriously, God, Three grand, I wanted ten. What are we doing? We would be, probably, we would be really chuffed, wouldn't we? We'd be really thankful for that £3,000, even though it wasn't the full amount. So, I would suggest, even if we're, we're praying for healing and we see a little bit of a, th- a breakthrough, thank God for that little breakthrough. Thank God for that little breakthrough in your work situation or that family situation. Okay, because God honours that thanksgiving. He honours us thanking him for the small things and I believe that that faith and that thankfulness can lead to provision for the big things lead to provision total healing total provision you know and I've had to do that in my circumstances you know when I've been driving to work dreading the day in, in tears sometimes thank you God that I have a job God, I am thankful and I am grateful for my job. I'm grateful for the people there. I'm grateful that you've put me in this, that I can get down there and I've got a car to drive there. You know, it's being thankful in what we have, I think, is such a key thing. Anyway, I'll uh, press on. Time is short. The peace of God will then guard your hearts and your minds. So in worldly terms, peace is an absence of something, isn't it? Yeah, so it might be an absence of noise, it might, might be an absence of the chores to do, an absence of stress. But peace as a Christian is fundamentally different to that, isn't it? Peace as a Christian is about the presence of someone. It's about the presence of Jesus, isn't it? You know, in the middle of all that's going on, we can have peace regardless of our circumstances. You know, and that's why I don't personally, and I'm sure a lot of people won't agree with kind of, you know, yogic meditation. You know, where we empty our minds to get peace and tranquility. It's not the way to get peace. The way to get complete peace is to fill your mind with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we'll come come on to it briefly in a minute. But what we're talking about here really is is truth. You know, in this statement, Paul, I've talked about uh, different verbs that Paul uses. But here he uses an indicative verb to give this statement about peace. So basically what that means is he's not telling us that peace will guard our hearts and minds. He's actually, it's just a statement of fact. If you pray with thanksgiving, you will have peace. It's as simple as that. You know, um, if we present our request to God with thanksgiving, then we will have peace. And I think that's hopefully the essence of what I'm trying to communicate today. Being grateful 
being thankful brings peace. Colossians 3.15 tells us also to let the peace of Christ rule your heart. And I think that's something that God has been teaching me as well. It's a conscious decision that we have to do. Sometimes we have to say, God, Jesus, I am going to let you, your peace rule my heart, regardless of my circumstances. Colossians 2, 1 to 8, Paul shows us several ways to guard ourselves against disillusionment and deceit. The first thing is by being encouraged by other Christians, and the second is by being grateful and having a thankful heart. And I think these two kind of guardians of discouragement work together to be most effective, because we can all be encouraged by everyday things, can't we? You know, if you get a kind text message or somebody does something nice for you, somebody brings something around for you, somebody says something nice, we can all be you know, encouraged by that, can't we? But actually, we can be encouraged by those things, but not make the connection in giving thanks to God for that. You know, and actually, it's when those two things work together that we're encouraged and we thank God. That's when we really see kind of uh, a protection and a guarding of our hearts and that peace. So more than ever, I believe this is absolutely essential to our everyday life. You know, it's true that we have a lot to be disappointed about. We have a lot that we could be fearful about. But actually, all of these emotions are not from God. We need that that light of gratitude to guard our hearts. So then, think about what's the next verse. Think about what's true, what's honourable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is commendable. Think about these things. So lastly, we just need to remember that focusing on all that is good... Focusing what's pure and what's truth is really um, a positive thing for us to do. We focus on what God has done for, for us, what God has created around us, and what God has given you. Now, I was really interested in what um, Richard said last week about frustrating God's grace in our life, and we can frustrate that grace by not fully believing the gospel itself, can't we? Um, And I think that's really true, that over time, we can actually, the way we think, the way we act, the things we believe, um, can have an influence on us, can't they? I don't know if everybody's ever sort of woken up one day and thought, how did I become like this? How did I have this attitude or this way of thinking? I don't remember having this. You know, over a slow drip over time can influence the way and the behaviours we have, can't it? But actually, um, I strongly believe that having a grateful heart combats all these things, these negative ways of thinking. In living out and practising this day in, day out over time, God will work in us a change to change our perspective, to open our eyes and see things the way God sees them. There are loads of truths in the Bible. I was going to go through loads of truths from a lot of the freedom in Christ truths. Time has escaped me, so I won't. But go look in the Bible. There's so many truths to be thankful of. God will supply all of our needs. You know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. There's so many truths. Go back and look at them. So just as I come to a conclusion then, um, hopefully that a lot of this has been practical. I always like stuff to be practical when I preach. So there's not a lot of kind of application, I guess, at the end of this, but I will just say a couple of things. Firstly, continue, Colossians 4.2 says to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know, in the message version of that says, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. 
And I think that's great. We can guard ourselves against temptation, against anxiety, fear and worry by praying in thanksgiving to God. You know, we know that Satan targets people, don't we? Those people that are praying a lot, Satan will go after you. He hates it when we pray and we're thankful. What Paul is saying is to defend yourself with prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude. Secondly, we can guard ourselves through words of thanks. So Ephesians 5.4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So how do we guard our mouths against pettiness, gossip, arrogance, talking about other people in a negative way? Well, fill your mouth with thanksgiving. You know, why don't we let a lot of what comes out of our mouths be words of gratitude and thanksgiving? You know, after church on a Sunday, at a dinner table, what's the first thing you're going to say? Worship was a bit flat. I didn't really know those songs. Preach went on a bit (laughs) bit long, didn't it? (laughs) Didn't really relate to me. I couldn't get into it today. Or actually, we're going to be thankful. Thank you, God, for this food in front of me. Thank you, God, that I'm in a church that glorifies God, that believes in the word, that welcomes your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I've got a roof over my head and food on the table. Because, you know, doing that not only edifies us and helps us, but actually we can do this. We, in doing this, we can remember other people as well. You know, we can be prayerful in thanksgiving, but also let's pray for other people that don't have that peace. You know, we know that praying for others is obviously good for them, but it's, it also helps us lift our eyes above our own situations, doesn't it? And in a similar way, when we talk, let's encourage other people by our speech. That way we can all be an example of others, to others, of God's goodness in our lives, can't we? So I'll end on a quote. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, A Christian is not merely one who's a little bit less miserable than he was. He is one who rejoices. Amen. That preach is so worthy of it standing on its own. Um, But I sense there's a need to put it in the prophetic framework of what God is doing with us at the moment, if that's okay. It's got to be okay because I've got the mic. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, the prophet says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And we are sensing that the Lord is coming to us in greater power on a regular basis now. For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring forth offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. And here the prophet is painting a picture of these Levites who had to learn afresh to to bring forth acceptable offerings because who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? I came across a story um, last Friday that brought me to tears. There was a, there was a, 
a, a group of ladies doing a Bible study in New York. And they came to this very passage of scripture. And one of the ladies thought to herself, I haven't got a clue what this is about. I don't know. Why would, it, why would a, a silversmith sit down while the refining process is going on? So without telling the others, she went and found a silversmith and she said, look, I want to know about silversmith from this Bible verse. Please, can I watch you? She, he said, yes. So he put the silver to be processed in the oven and he just sat down. And he just watched. And she said, what are you doing? She said, I'm just sitting. He said, well, why are you just sitting? She said, why are you just sitting? She says, he said, because... I have to watch what's happening to the silver. And she says, what are, you, what, what are you watching? She says, I'm watching for the exact moment the silver is taken out of the furnace. Because if I, if I get that timing wrong, the silver will be destroyed. And she says, how do you know when is the right time? Uh, he says, oh, that's easy. When I look at the silver... And I can see the reflection of my face in the silver. Then I know it's the right time. What you've said this morning, I believe, is a prophetic teaching word for, the, for all of us. I know I've spoken to people this week. This, and it fits in what Richard said earlier. There's some people saying, I've had the most difficult year of my life. Is sitting there watching as a refiner of silver because the Lord is coming to his temple. And what you have taught us today, Matt, is how to be work with the refining process of the silversmith, which is God. So that we, as, as is kings and priests ministering to him, God will, is looking for praise and thankfulness to come out from our lives when we are in the furnace of affliction. And because of that, that will, that will produce that readiness. That's what God's looking for, to praise him in all things.